Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to um, Psalm chapter 85. Psalm 85. You know, it's kind of amazing. One of the things that, I guess I shouldn't be amazed by it, but it just never ceases to amaze me, is just how intertwined um, the theme of our Sundays are. Uh, from, from our pre-gathering prayer that we had earlier to the worship to what I was going to talk about and been preparing to talk about over this past week, uh, there's been a, a theme that's been woven throughout it, and it's the love of God. And I sat back there during worship, and I was just so overcome with just how um, when people who don't talk throughout the week are connected to the same spirit, there's unity. Have you ever looked around your world and thought, where's the unity? What happened to it? The reality is that there's only one kind of real unity, and it's the unity of the spirit. And everything else is compromise. It's not that we shouldn't engage in it. It's just that we're called to maintain as believers the unity of the spirit. And there's something about personally, each one of you being committed to the Lord throughout your week that makes this time together so special and so sweet. I'm really, really grateful for you guys. So we're going to start in Psalm 85 today, and then we're going to jump around just a little bit. But I want to read Psalm 85, starting in verse 1. Look down at your Bibles. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I want to come back to verse six again. Let's all read it together. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Flip over to the left in your Bibles to Psalm 63. Psalm 63 is the other passage that is on my mind this week. Just a few pages over to the left. Psalm 63 verse two says this. I have seen you in the sanctuary. For how many of you, that, is that true this morning? <laughs> I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. <laughs> because your love is better than life. Everybody say better than life. My lips will glorify you. Because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I want to attempt something that's very difficult uh, this morning. 
Uh, and I thought about, should I attempt it? Should I not? I'm not really sure how to approach this. It's not something that I tend to talk a lot about. Because what I want to do is I want to talk about a subject that is only understood when you feel it. It is not understood here intellectually. It is only understood when it makes that journey from your mind to your heart. And I want to talk about the love of God this morning. And I want to say this. Understanding God's love creates the context in your life for heaven to come. Understanding God's love in your life, when you really get it, it will create a context for heaven to come, that great prayer on earth as it is in heaven. And so I'm going to do something that I, I, I normally don't do a bunch of. I've actually, I, don't, I was talking to Jake, I don't think I've ever given a message quite like this. I'm going to share four stories from a time period in my life when I began to be open to the Holy Spirit. How I went from functionally cessationist, maybe like theologically charismatic, functionally I was a cessationist, to being fully open to the Holy Spirit, to being fully surrendered to whatever it looked like, wherever he wanted to do it, whatever he wanted to say. And really without this time period in my life, there would be no Saints Hill Church. Uh, For for many years uh, after I became a Christian, I wanted to be a part of planting a church. Uh, but I knew, I just knew, I, I, I thought, I, I'll know when I'm ready. And it was through this time period that the Lord gave me vision, gave our team vision. Many of you who are sitting in this room, you're gonna remember some of these stories that I'm talking about today. Gave our, our church uh, planting team vision for actually planting a church around the presence of God. For me, this time period in my life was like a second conversion. See, um, there's this new song that I've been listening to, and it's, um, it's just like every now and then you'll find a song and you're like, that's saying the thing that I couldn't say, I didn't have words for, it's speaking something that I so feel but didn't know how to put you know, into words. And, and there's this line in this song, as I was, I was like driving back from McMinnville, I was, I was singing this song in the car and there's this line that just grabbed me, like grabbed me by the shirt and pulled me in and it was this. Thank you for your mercy that revives. It leads me to repentance. It leads me into life. Thank you for your mercy that revives. And when I heard that, I was like instantly rushed back uh, five, six, seven years ago because that's really what happened to me is his mercy revived me and it led me into repentance. It led me to change my mind about God, to change my mind about myself, and it led me to actually experience the love of God, create a context for his Holy Spirit to have his way. So the year was 2015, and and in this year, I was 25 years old, and I had pretty much settled in many ways for a faithful but not fruitful paradigm. How many of you have ever heard of that paradigm before? Be faithful, but you're not going to be very fruitful. I'm going to explain it if you haven't heard it. Okay. So essentially what had happened, uh, this is like 2014, 2015, was there was this book that was written by a friend of mine. He has since written another book refuting this book. But anyways, he wrote this book. And in this book, um, he basically laid out this paradigm. He said, look, we're living in a post-Christian world. How many of you have ever heard that term, post-Christian? The world has moved past you. It doesn't care about you. It doesn't think about you. It was, it's, it's kind of annoyed like a fly by you. And uh, he basically said, look, don't expect to get much fruit in this cultural context. So church, just be faithful. Be faithful to the text, be faithful to the disciplines, faithful to the liturgy, uh, be a faithful presence in your town. 
And it was almost this kind of concession of, hey, no one is coming to Christ, so just be faithful. And to me, at 25 years old, it seemed really wise. I thought, yeah, that probably is the case. You know, I lived in Portland at the time, and I was looking around at my neighbors and just my neighborhood and the way that things were going culturally, and I thought, I mean, it's pretty scary out there, and I'm hated, and nobody likes me, and I don't tell them what I do. And so, you know, yeah, like maybe that is the best that we can just be personally faithful to the Lord or, or in our church personally faithful to the Lord. And as I began to agree with that belief, here's what happened. I was talked out of passion. I was talked out of relationship. And discipline became the focus of my life. Discipline so that I could withstand the lifelong struggle of Christian drudgery. How does that sound? What a sell. I mean, now I wonder, like, why was my youth group not growing? Oh, maybe because that was the message. Um, but I remember, I remember just being bored with God. And I hated to admit that because I was like, you know, I'm a pastor and I'm bored with God. I, I, I never wanted to go to church. I didn't want to be a part of a gathering. I, just would, I was always just like, well, it's my job. I guess I got to be there. <laughs> I remember uh, at the ripe old age of 25, I was dreaming about retirement. <laughs> I was like, man, that'll be nice one day when I get to retire from this ministry job, you know? And, I, and, I, and for some, some of you know this, but my wife and I always dreamed of retiring in Newburgh. And then he's like, I want you to go plant a church in Newburgh, not retire in Newburgh. But I always dreamed of like, that's a nice place to retire. It's beautiful. It's a quiet town. And, and, uh, and, and that's what I was dreaming of. For me, here was the shift. I, I was leaning into the intellectualizing of my faith because I was insecure. Not having a strong belief, not knowing the love of God led me to insecurity. I didn't know who I was, and so I intellectualized my faith because I thought, you know, if I'm not going to experience God on a relational level, the least I could do is experience the praise of other people. That's the least I could do. I was dead. All of this was until I met Andoni. Where's Andoni? Andoni, just raise your hand real fast. Yeah, uh-huh. You got me last week. I'm getting you this week. Uh, this is all until I met Andoni. So here's the first story. Here's the first story. What will you have to throw at his feet? I met Andoni, I think it was fall of 2015. I don't know when you guys actually moved up here, but um, it was cold. I feel like we were in jackets. And Andoni was especially cold because he'd just come from Mexico City. But... Uh, we met at this, uh, yeah, I was the young adult pastor at this church that I was working at, and we met at this young adult um, gathering. And there was a lot of, there was like 800 young adults at this church, so many young adults. And I, I remember just like, I, I felt like I had no time to have for anything. And I met Andoni, and most of the time I'd meet a new young adult, and they'd be like, hey, we should get coffee, I want to get to know you. And I, something after I met, with, I met Andoni and met Lorna, uh, the Lord said, you need to meet with him. I'm like, I don't know if I have time to just meet with, he doesn't even want to meet with me. So they're like, no, you need to meet with him. So I asked him if we could get together and we got together to meet. And I remember I was just so like attracted to the um, stability that he had, this security that he walked with, this almost like princely way about him. If you ever hang out around Andoni, you're like, are you some kind of aristocracy in Mexico City? Or like, what, like, <laughs> like who are you, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and I just remember he was so disarming um, because he was everything that I wasn't. He was passionate. He expected fruit in life. He, 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 he didn't buy into this faithful, not fruitful paradigm. And, and, and because of that, he was still in love with Jesus, even though I wasn't. 
And so I remember we got together at this coffee shop, and, and some, many of you guys probably have heard this story. I've shared it many times. It was one of the most impactful conversations I've ever had. We sat down at this coffee shop, and he looked across the table at me, and he said, you know, Alex, when you preach, when you speak at our church, it's like fire comes out of your mouth, and it sets people on fire. And I was like, man, I knew you went to BSSM, but that's pretty BSSM. That's, okay. And he goes, he goes, uh, he looks at me, and I was kind of like uncomfortable by it. He, he looks at me, and he goes, why didn't you receive what I just said about you? And I was like, well, I did, okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, I did receive in like the Andoni stare. I don't know how you live with it, Lorna. It just, it's like, I'll just tell you everything. Uh, He's like, he's, he's like, why didn't you receive it? And I'm like, well, I did, but I don't want to get prideful. Or, you know, I was living in this false humility paradigm, even though I was so hungry for the approval of others. I was pretending that I wasn't because I still needed them to approve of me. <laughs> and so I was like, I was like, oh, okay, okay. And he goes, no, you didn't receive what I just said about you because you don't love yourself the way that he loves you. He said, he said, you have thoughts about yourself in your mind that he doesn't have in his mind about you. And I was like, that's true. <laughs> that's true. And he said this, he said, anyone who's seen who they really are in Christ will never want to be anybody else. And I was like, well, I want to be everybody else. <laughs> I want to be that leader over there with that gift. I want to be uh, this person who can speak really well. I want to be that person who has this great ministry and they've learned how to build teams. I wish I was everybody else but me. Anybody who has seen who they really are in Christ will never want to be anybody else. And so I started to meet with Andoni to figure out, like, what have I been missing? Like, where, is, where have I placed my identity in the wrong spaces? And, and the Lord just began to open my heart. We would get together. It was a sweet time in our lives. I, I, maybe for you, more for me, probably. But we would get together at, at 6 a.m. once a week at his apartment building, and we would just talk. And, and he would just ask me questions. Well, why do you believe that? That was always the best question. Why do you think that? Where'd that thought come from? You know, it was just really, really important. And here was the lesson that I learned in this season. Here was the lesson. You will hold yourself at a distance from his love if you don't think about yourself the way that he thinks about you. You will always hold yourself, you will put distance between you and God if you don't think about yourself the way that he thinks about you. And what I found is that I had a lower view of me than God had of me. See, here's what the scriptures say, and Jake, you already quoted this, which is just crazy, but here's, here's what the scripture say, says in 1 John 4, as he is, speaking of Jesus, so also are we in this world. In other words, you know what that's saying? What that's saying is that you are supposed to be like God in this world. People are supposed to be able to see you and go, there must be a God, <laughs> But if you're walking around and you have negative thoughts about yourself and you're insecure and you're living on the praise of other people, guess what you're not going to be like? You're not going to be like him. <laughs> you won't have anything to give. You'll constantly feel like an empty well with nothing to give to anybody else. Why? Because you didn't believe what he said was true about you. As he is, so you are in this world. See, I, I, would, settle, I would settle for as he was. Do you know where Jesus is right now? exalted, glorified, at the right hand of the Father, everything placed under his feet. As he is, so are you in this world. You might want to think about that one. This is what I also learned. Next slide. Jesus, this is how he sends out his disciples. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. In other words, how is a disciple sent? 
How is a disciple sent? When you become a disciple, when you give your life to the Lord, when you begin to lean on him and trust on him in, in total life surrender, he sends you as a disciple. How does he send you? Oh, it's just the same way that the Father sent Jesus. Now, what does that mean? That means you've been sent with a mission and you've been sent with an ability. You've been sent, some of you aren't getting it quite yet. You're gonna get it. Uh, you've been sent with a mission and you've been sent with an ability. As the Father, that's a big as, is it not? <laughs> uh, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you, which means you have the same mission and the same ability as Jesus. Do you actually believe that? See, this is what I had to do. I had to do, I had to go, oh, I've actually not believed the scripture. I've said that I was a Bible believer, but I wasn't. I was a circumstance believer, filtering some scripture into it. But Andoni challenged me. He said, do you actually believe what the Bible says? As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Next slide. This one, if, you really, if you're uncomfortable with either of those, you're really going to be uncomfortable with this one. Uh, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you know how most people live when they read this? They go, God made him who had no sin to have a little bit of sin so that in him we might have a little bit of God's righteousness. That's how a lot of us have read that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, 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 it's either Jesus fully became sin so that we could fully become God's righteousness or Jesus kind of became sin so we could kind of be God's righteousness based upon our performance and how we were feeling that day. No, you don't believe the Bible if that's how you've been believing, so you need to repent, you need to change your mind. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. One of our core values, value number six, is we are the righteousness of God. Not my idea, it was God's. <laughs> so so here, here's, here's the deal. Identity comes from seeing the goodness of God. What are we seeing in this? We're seeing the goodness of God. Could the gospel be that good? Could it really touch that place in my life? Could it really go beyond my actions here and the decisions that I've made? Yes, it can if you believe it. Identity comes from seeing the goodness of God and understanding the, law, the love of a father. It's not based on your morality. It's not based on a public opinion, what people think about you. It's not based on how productive you've been. Here is grace. You wanna know what grace is? Great definition of grace. Grace is this. God loves you because he loves you. And if that doesn't make sense, it's probably because you're not a parent. Because every parent knows how real unconditional love works. I love you. I don't know, just because I love you. I love you. I love you. And the identity of being a son, being a daughter, begins to come into place. And it's glorious. Now what I learned next built on this moment in my life. So second story, second story. You guys tracking? Some of you look dead, and I'm going to try and wake you up. Uh, Jake did his best. I'm going to also do my best. Um, when have you applied the same effort? When have you applied the same effort? Here's the second story. Uh, around this time, I was in this intense season of master's work. So I was in seminary at the time, and I was really working hard. I, I set specific reading goals outside of my seminary reading to read every day. I'm going to spend this much time reading these books, and I had a whole list and, and all of this um, because I was feeling super behind intellectually. I thought, you know, I looked at the, the other leaders and Christian, you know, leaders around the country, and I thought, wow, I'm behind. There's a lot of books I need to read, and uh, nobody has told me about Plato. Nobody's told me about philosophy. Nobody's told me about N.T. Wright. And so I'm like, what? I don't know anything. I got to, like, read, 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 read. Okay. 
So it was also around this time that um, apologetics became a a big focus of my life. Some of you love apologetics. Apologetics, it's great. It became a very big focus of my life, and I uh, began to do this thing in any high school that would let me, where I would sit with um, a classroom of high schoolers, a, a public high school in Portland, and I would basically say, okay, ask me any question you want, and we'll call it Stump the Pastor. So uh, you can ask any question, and they would just throw, I bet you think that gay people are going to hell. I bet you think this, 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 this. So anyways, I would sit up there, and I would have to, on the fly, just answer questions. Boo, 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 boo. And, you know, and I thought this was like you know, a really cool thing. I felt like I was Paul on Mars Hill, just constantly attempting to outsmart the culture, to create like emotional uh, plausibility structures for post-Christian students to fall into and be like, see, I told you, you really want him, don't you? And it, 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 it had felt like at this time in my life that I was constantly on this treadmill of like trying to be smarter than, trying to, uh, tr- trying to just go, go the distance. It had been a long time also since I had heard from God. It felt like, you know, it had been ages since I'd really heard from him. But I was walking home from uh, work one day uh, to my apartment And I had this thought come to my mind that was so not mine. I was like, where did that thought come from? And it literally stopped me. I remember I was walking home. It was hot. It was in the summer, uh, probably of 2015. I stop, and I'm like, it arrested me. And the thought was this. Alex, when have you ever applied the same effort you are applying on your learning to understanding my love for you? Alex, when have you ever used that same effort that you're applying to trying to understand and read and study, when have you applied that same effort to simply understanding how much I love you? And I was shocked. Because I remembered that in that, in that very moment, I remembered that what had begun with a relationship with a person when I was 17 had somehow changed into a relationship with a philosophy by the time I was 25. What had begun with a person became a philosophy. Somehow for me, the study of the philosophy had displaced surrender and communication and heart-to-heart love. And in this moment, I was slack-jawed because there wasn't shame. I didn't feel bad about it. There was just this simple invitation to drop the striving, to drop the working, and to reapply my effort to understanding how much God actually loves me. And so I, I made a lot of changes. I came home and I told my wife, I said, I'm, getting, I'm dropping out of seminary. And I did. I, don't worry, I finished just this last winter. But I dropped out of seminary for, for two years. I didn't go back. I said, I'm not going to read anything. No theology books, no skepticism, none of it. I'm not reading anything that doesn't produce confidence in your character. That was my line. For, for two years, I did this. For two years, I didn't read anything that wouldn't produce confidence in my heart for God faith. And and, and you know what happened? I began to get filled. I began, you know, there's this passage in Psalm 81 that says, open your mouth and I will fill it. And I began to take all the stuff that I had been, all all the ideas of mortal men, just put them to the side for a moment just to say, but what do you say? What do you think about me? Fill me with that. And it was just a wonderful time in my life of just becoming open to the Holy Spirit for the first time ever, just for the first time going, okay, I actually want more than what I've been just learning. I want you. I don't want a philosophy. I actually just want you. 
Third story. It's not like a menu at a restaurant. Up to this point in my life, um, in 2015, everything that I led ministry-wise had failed or gotten smaller. So I had a really good track record. I'm like, you want to bring me in? I'll shrink your youth group. I'll shrink your young adult group. Um, It's going to be incredible. Uh, I remember I, I would think about quitting like twice a year. I was like, at least twice a year, I'd be like, I should probably quit because I totally stink at this. Uh, we had a youth group at the time of two kids and they were there because uh, one of their dad, dads was on staff and one, the other, their dads was an elder. And so they had to be there. That was the only reason why they were at the youth group. Uh, but, at, but since meeting Andoni and since this kind of reawakening to the love of God relationship with him, I had this fire in, in me personally, I was hungry. I was really hungry for the Lord. And we had scheduled this, um, this trip to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho in the summer of 2016. We'd scheduled this trip and um, I, I had like been just asking like kids, can you please come on this trip? <laughs> can you please just like, I, I, I'll pay you. How much is it gonna take to come on this, on this trip, right? And so we go to, we go to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, which is just amazing if you've ever been there. It's a wonderful place. And it was one of the most significant weeks of my life. Uh, One of our our leaders, uh, Lizzie, um, some of you remember Lizzie, I'm sure, uh, she spoke about Psalm 34. And and Psalm 34, verse 8 says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. How many of you have ever read that? Read that passage before? It's a good passage. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I'd read this a million times. But she says it. She says, I want to talk about uh, experiencing God. She said, Go to Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. And Jacob, your very own worship leader, was there as well leading worship for a group of like six high schoolers uh, in, a, in a house with no AC. And, uh, and Jake, said, Jake said this, he said, you know, this is interesting because it's the opposite of a menu. It's not like a menu at a restaurant where you get to see, then taste. In every menu, you get a description, hmm, do I like what's in this, you know, meal? I think I'll taste it. He said, no, 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 with God, it's completely the opposite. It's taste, and then you see. It's experience him, and then you'll understand. And the lesson was that for those who are truly hungry, they are willing to taste and then see. See, if it's see, then taste, Guess who's in control? You. (laughs) Because you get to decide whether you really want to, I've seen what you do, God, over there. I'll have a side of that. I'll have a little bit of that. But I'm not sure that I want all of that. You won't understand him then. It's taste and then see. See, what I learned in this season was that I cannot put God into a box and simply determine, oh, God doesn't do that. That's weird and wacky. He doesn't do that. That's not God. That's not my, I don't have the uh, authority to say what is or isn't. And that I actually began to open myself up, even on this trip, to this idea that God has the right to offend my understanding. And often God, I found, will offend the mind in order to get to the heart. And when I saw this, the floodgates opened. Uh, we, we began, or you remember this, Jake, we began to wait and worship. We're practicing just like waiting. Sometimes you're like, why are they quiet? 
oh, we're waiting because worship wasn't about you and the songs that you wanted to sing. Worship was about ministering to his presence. Where's he going? What's he up to? Does he want us to pause and pray for something? Is he wanting to bring a truth to mind? Is there a different direction that we need to go right now? So we began to do this, and we began to uh, ask the Holy Spirit, would you come and do whatever you want to do? Actually, we're not going to put any limits on what you want to do. It's your gathering. It's your students. It's, it, we're yours. We began to risk, and we began to lead to places of dependence on God. I think of like Evan Roberts uh, with the Welsh Revival. He would just sit on a stage for hours and just wait, sometimes three hours past midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., and just wait, and people would just be waiting. We're just waiting for God to show up. If, if God doesn't show up, we have nothing, so we'll just go home. That's the kind of dependence that we began to lean into. And then we saw it, fruit. <laughs> I finally got rid of the faithful, not fruitful paradigm because we saw fruit. I remember there was this girl who um, was on this trip. Uh, she had just tried to commit suicide and she had been in the hospital like two days before the trip started. And her mom who went to the church called me up and said, hey, look, she's in a really rough place. Can she go on this trip? And I thought, okay. I'm like, do I have the right female leaders to be able to steward a girl who is potentially suicidal? And uh, we invited her on the trip. She came on the trip. In a time of worship, we just said, hey, why don't we just pause and listen? Maybe God would bring something to your minds. I mean, this is radical. We're just leaning into this stuff for the first time. Like maybe there's a Holy Spirit who wants to speak to you today. And she goes, I think I have something. I mean, this is the last kid that I'm thinking is gonna, quote, have something, right? She goes, I think I have something. She said, all I can see in my mind is a wave and the wave of water is washing over me. And she said, I think I need to be baptized. It was so, yeah, I was, I mean, I was just like, what? I'm like, see, I'm used to being in control and no fruit happening. And now I let go of control and just fruit instantly. And, and, so, and so we're like, okay, there's the lake. We literally, like all of us students, we go down to the lake and she gets baptized. It was one of the most powerful moments of my life. Um, yeah, it was awesome. We just saw, we saw students prophesy over each other. Say, hey, I, I, you know, it, and I, I think of like what God wants to do. He always wants to take what's impossible and, and just flip it and be like, it's actually, this is possible. One of the most impossible things I can think of is the social hierarchy of a high school. How do you flip that? And it happened in our youth group. It was unbelievable. There was not a single kid that would feel out of place or, you know, everybody was celebrated. We had a culture of honor. And so these students, the culture of honor runs on prophecy. Because it can't run on your own thoughts. If you only know people by the, in the natural, you won't honor them because you'll always be offended by where they, what they aren't. But when you, when you understand who, what God says they are, what God thinks about them, you begin to honor them. And so, and so students begin to prophesy over each other. It was so powerful. It began a season of outpouring in our lives, Holy Spirit outpouring and the felt presence of God. And it was a time where we really learned, where I learned that if we have a good father who wants good for me and good for others, it's safe to risk. It's safe to taste and then see. Last story. Last story. You know how kids just flop? <laughs> the high school ministry uh, at this time really began to thrive. Um, there were, there's, I think there's even some, some of you over here. I see, I see you over here. Some students from our high school ministry. Connor was in our high school ministry. Lizette 
Lizette, who was up here earlier, she was in high school ministry at the time. Um, it began to grow, and these students began to share their faith with uh, other kids, and the other kids would come uh, to the youth group. It was just a really powerful time. And I remember having this thought one day, uh, and, and here was the thought. It was like that other time. Here was the thought. Alex, don't you think that I have something for the young adults too? I was like, I hope so. We had this retreat uh, scheduled. The Lord just showed up on many times that we get away, and it's powerful. We had this retreat scheduled for October 7th of 2016, and uh, we went to the coast with the young adults, and it was a great retreat. In fact, I think there's like two marriages that are, yeah, like Molly in the back. She got married to Waza because of this retreat. Did you guys meet there? Okay, so you met there. Uh, Brianna, I don't know where Austin is, so if you're listening to this on the podcast, Austin, I hope you're okay, buddy. Uh, Brianna and Austin, uh, they met there. I remember, like, I was locking up one night, 3 a.m. You guys are still, I think it was 3 a.m., uh, still, <laughs> still at the kitchen table talking. No, everybody else is, okay, oh, yeah, I'm not surprised. We had schemed to get you together. Um, very productive retreat, very productive retreat. So uh, we had um, a pastor named Gerald Griffin and his wife, Jenny, who had come on this retreat with us to share. And uh, Jenny said something that was just powerful. She said, you know, she had this image for, for the whole group uh, on the first night of kind of ministry. She said, you know how kids just flop on their parents when they're tired, when they're just totally exhausted? They're just like, dead weight on their parent's shoulder. She said, I think that some of you need to do that with the Lord. You need to have a position of a kid just flopped on their parent. Now, this is a very common idea here at St. Hill, but this was very uncommon for this community at the time. This was spoken into a context that was exhausted by disciplines, beat down by the faithful, not fruitful paradigm. And what happened was so powerful. I really, I tried to like write out what happened. I almost don't have words for it, aside from the Holy Spirit fell. Um, that Waza was leading, many of you guys know Waza who leads worship here. Waza was leading worship. It was the first time I ever heard him lead worship. And I remember just thinking, well, that was anointed. Um, but, but I mean, just the Holy Spirit fell. People were crying. People were laughing. People were prophesying. It was a little chaotic. It was like, I don't want to, you know, you know that quote that's like, you know, uh, a neat and tidy place is a graveyard, but uh, a very chaotic place is the nursery. I mean, this was the nursery. It was like kind of wild. And we stayed up late into the night worshiping. We got up early the next morning, like 7 a.m. Everybody was up to like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. They get up at 7 a.m. To, to begin worshiping again. We missed breakfast. It lasted hours, and we just couldn't stop. Like, the, the presence of God was so tangible. It was so powerful. I remember looking over at Andoni and just being like, this is what we've been talking about. This is what we've dreamed of. Like, like the Lord coming near to his people, waking his people up. It was one of the most holy moments I've ever experienced. And, and here was the lesson. Childlike dependence and hunger makes room for God to be God. Childlike dependence and hunger makes room for God to be God. We began to just see God show up in unusual ways in our church. We, we, we began to realize that our ability to receive from him was connected to what he wanted to pour out. If we came to church thinking, oh, I kind of got it, I'm fine, I'm good. We wouldn't see much of him, but if we came expectant, no, we need all of you. We're open to whatever you want to do. Holy Spirit, pour yourself out on us. We're just flopping on you like a child flops on their parent. 
that we would receive. You know, so much of the Christian life is about receiving, and yet so many Christians are walking around empty with nothing to give, getting down on themselves because of it, because they thought the Christian life was about what they had to give away rather than how he wants to fill you. He wants to fill you. Can you flop? (laughs) Are you hungry? This flop lifestyle, if you will, has really been the story of Saints Hill. Uh, We've seen healings uh, from chronic allergies to colon cancer before and after images to locked jaw to ACL knee surgeries being canceled because of healings here. Um, It's been a dream. This church has been a dream. And joy has been the result. Great joy. You know, um, the first uh, image I ever, when the Lord told us to, and it was very specific, told us to plant a church here, the first image that ever came to my mind was uh, he kind of took, God took me to a, almost like a bird's eye view of the valley and of these hills right outside here. And he said, I'm laying a tapestry over these hills, a tapestry, a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's what I'm doing in Newburgh. That's what I'm doing through your church is that we're going, to, we're going to exchange something and that there's going to be a people marked by joy, marked by praise. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store or visit our website.